Who's excited about getting married one day? It's kind of what I figured. Yeah. <clears throat> Amen. Hey, I'm excited for you to get married one day too. Um, marriage is awesome. You should totally do that one day. Um, <laughs> but uh, hey, we are in the middle of our relationship series. And um, we are literally trying to prepare you for a great marriage. For a lifelong, God-honoring, awesome marriage. And um, man, tonight we are going to talk about the searching process. We're kind of calling it searching for our soulmate. And um, here's what I know. Whenever you talk to just about anybody concerning um, what makes a great marriage partner, um, most people are going to, to list that you need to be great friends. How many of you guys have heard that, right? Like best friends make the best marriages, right? So, as we kind of begin this, and as we begin down this searching process tonight, um, there's actually one scripture that I want us to focus on just initially that actually has to do with not how we choose a future spouse, but a little more basic, how we choose friends. Because if we want a great spouse, and if we want a great marriage, and we know that great marriages, the best marriages are made up of best friends, then we ought to choose friends wisely, right? Okay, so Proverbs twelve twenty six says this, the righteous chooses his friends carefully. Now, you can replace that his with his or hers. It was written in poem form. You just got to roll with it, okay? They weren't PC back then. They didn't know any better. Um, so, if the best marriages are made up of the best friends, we should choose our friends carefully according to Proverbs twelve twenty six. You see, um, how many of you like, okay, how many of you have like a BFF? Like, yep, they're sitting next to me, right? If they're not, it's okay. Just, you know, pretend like they're your BFF, right? And, and you know, like having your little BFF, that's cool and it's cute and all this kind of stuff. But, but listen, when it comes to marriage, you're like BFF forever is like for real forever. Like until death do you part forever, right? Like that's a whole nother level of BFF, isn't it? Right? And so we ought to spend some time choosing wisely when it comes to this BFF that we're going to marry one day. Because this thing is until death do us part, right? But if we're just being honest, culture kind of tells us the opposite whenever it comes to determining or deciding on a mate, on a, on a future spouse, on who it is that we date, how we search for people, and how do we know who is the right one, and who we're supposed to be searching for, and when we find them, how do we know, like, culture's got its own things to say about it, and the truth is, like, during meet and greet, we played a song by the Chainsmokers called This Feeling, okay? And I think it, like, perfectly defines how culture puts parameters about who we date, why we date, how we date, all of the above. I want you to look at, this, um, at, the, at these lyrics here. They tell me, think with my head, not that thing in my chest. Anybody ever heard that? Okay. They got their hands at my neck this time. But you're the one that I want. If that's really so wrong, then they don't know what this feeling is like. My friends are like, no, but they don't know. It's almost like culturally we're like, if it feels good, it's got to be good. And how many of you have seen that play out in your dating life? Or maybe a friend's dating life, right? Maybe not you, but it was them. It, well, you know, 
Culture's like, hey, forget about being careful. Don't be cautious. If it feels good, go for it. It's got to be good, right? This has got to be good. So in, in getting wrapped up in these feelings and this cultural idea, it's really easy for us to begin to believe the lie, myth number one tonight, that nobody has ever felt this way before. Like, Heath, you obviously don't understand what we've got going here. Nobody has had these feelings before like so we end up diving off in the deep end of a relationship because it feels good and there's some serious like emotions surrounding that relationship and we just tell ourselves that everyone else my parents my friends my pastor they just don't understand this is totally different than anything they've ever experienced before these are stronger feelings this is so unique and so strong there's no way anybody has ever felt this way before how many of you would be wise enough to say that probably every person in the honeymoon stage of their relationship probably feels like nobody's ever felt the way they felt before? Isn't there something kind of similar amongst all of those stories, right? So, I'll say this though, okay? Let's not take this too far. Um, truthfully, if you don't feel some of these kinds of strong emotions in, the, in that relationship or towards that individual, you should probably pass on the relationship. There ought to be some like, this is awesome kind of feeling going on. You ought to think they're smoking hot, all right? Like, that's just a given. And if you don't, it might be time to pass on this relationship. Why? Because love is meant to be full of emotion. This, it's meant to be a loving, caring, emotion-filled relationship. It's not a business transaction. So there ought to be some emotion associated with our relationships. You should be experiencing some of these strong feelings. And in the midst of these very strong emotions, it's easy to see why we would start to believe that if it feels good, it must be good. But drug addicts say the same thing about meth, right? Some of you guys are like, I think I dated him once. Um, (laughs) So truth number one is this. Feelings are important, but they shouldn't undermine wisdom. Feelings are important. They should exist in your relationship. You shouldn't be dating a robot. There should be some feelings, okay? But the feelings can't undermine wisdom. And so in the Bible, we call the book of Proverbs the book of wisdom. And in Proverbs, what we read earlier, says that we should choose wisely. We should choose carefully. We don't just feel something, but we should back up how we feel with like logic and reason and some evidence, that what we feel is actually truth and it and actually exists. We would say this, God guides us by three things. If we really want some direction, God gives us God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. And that is how God guides us as Christians. God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. Proverbs fifteen twenty two, talking about God's people. Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now, I'm willing to bet most of you plan to get married, okay? Um, If that's the case, plans fail 
for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So get others involved. Invite them into the plan. And I would even say this, especially when you're surrounded by a community of believers, like people that love you, let your plans be known before you act on them. Maybe ask somebody that loves you, do you think this is a good idea? Counsel comes from counselors. That's people that the Lord has put in your life because God knows we get a little cray-cray when we fall in love. Can we just agree on that? Anybody ever seen somebody do something absolutely nuts because they're in love? Listen, I've seen some guys like cut their hair, shave their beards. They're like showering. All these crazy things because they fell in love. So when the feelings start coming on strong, we should still be choosing carefully and we should be inviting others in. Why? Because we want evidence that what we think about that individual is actually true. Is this person really as awesome as I feel they are? Do my friends think that this person is as awesome as I think that they are? And I'll be honest with you, if you're surrounded by friends that love you, they will think that. When my wife and I were dating, a guy that I had totally submitted to, this is a guy that can tell me no about anything in my life and I just do it because I trust that he loves me. He had every right and in fact he exercised that right whenever I was first interested in my wife, he told me to wait. And then he was like, hey man, I think it's time. And it's that same guy that after we'd been dating for a while turned to me and was like, hey dude, you're going to pull the trigger on that or what? Like you need to put a ring on it. You see what I'm saying? Like your friends want what's best for you. They love you. So do they feel that that person is as awesome as you feel that person is? Or might there be something hiding? Is there something that that I'm overlooking but that my friends see plain as day? You could be blinded by love, right? Blinded by infatuation. We have to be careful here because I've seen a lot of people fake it until they get a ring. It's like something flips, right? Something seems to change. And the truth is, those changes, there was probably evidence of those changes before the change happened. We were just kind of blinded by love to what those things might have been. But your friends who care about you and love you, they're watching out for those things. They're watching out for those things. So we investigate. We use wisdom found in the Bible. We use wisdom found in our brains. We use wisdom found in the brains of others so that we can choose wisely. And here's the deal. We can't expect someone who's led by the flesh to act godly. There are certain things according to Galatians that are evidence that someone is not submitting to or is not being led by the Spirit of God. So we're about to read through a list, and if you see these things, run. The opposite direction, not towards them, the opposite direction, run away. Let's read. Galatians five sixteen says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Jump down to verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, 
witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Being led by the flesh, we see these kind of things in individuals. These are the individuals who are not led by the Spirit. And think about this. These things are bad for you to endure in a, in a dating relationship. They're horrible to endure in a marital relationship. That goes on till death do us part. But look at how this, how this scripture ends. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, that's kind of harsh language, right? It's like, whoa, Paul, easy. Hey, what are you saying here? These guys aren't going to make it to heaven? That's exactly what he's saying. And so, when you look at that, you're like, that, okay, that's really harsh. So, do I really want that person to have an influence over me in my dating relationship? Do I really want that person to have an influence over me in my marital relationship? But let's take this just a little bit further. Do you want someone who's not going to end up in heaven to influence your future children? It begs the question, are you really willing to give so much influence to that person because it feels good that you're willing to make them a parent of your future children? Knowing that according to Scripture, it's a good possibility, aside from God saving their soul, they will not end up in heaven. So even if you're strong enough to escape their influence and not follow them into deeds of the flesh, do you really expect for your children to be so strong? 10, 12-year-old minds? They're influenced a whole lot by their parents, aren't they? So according to this scripture, we need to watch. We need to learn. We need to gather evidence that supports someone's ability to be someone we want to marry. Notice I said be, not become. A lot of people marry a pipe dream. I hope he will become this. I hope she will be like this. Marriage doesn't change people, okay? That's, that's not scriptural. So we want for them to be that individual now. And if they are now, and they're maturing in Christ, we're pretty confident they will be that later. Now, some of you are thinking, man, I've dated that individual, right? Like, some of you have never tried listening to God's word, God's spirit, nor God's people. And your past is littered by some bad relationships with people that would simply make a bad spouse. Um, I will say this, if you're in that relationship now, get out. As your pastor, as the one who doesn't want to stand up here and marry some of you because it is a bad relationship and everyone feels it. And as the guy who doesn't want to be counseling you in marriage counseling because these are constantly on display. Just get out. Let the Lord do what the Lord does. Don't try to save them. Don't try to change them. Leave that up to Jesus. See, here's what happens. We cover these things up because they make us laugh. Man, we just, we feel, I feel good when I'm around them. 
All the feels, right? All the feels. But they end up being a clown. <laughs> you know, it, it, here's the thing. Like, don't blame a clown for acting like a clown. Ask yourself why you keep going to the circus to find a date. We're talking about searching, right? Can we be truthful? Now, for some of you, you're like offended at me right now, okay? Um, you you got to catch the Father's heart in this. Um, just because I make some saying that sounds, you know, rolls off the tongue, it, it doesn't mean that your Father in heaven is any less heartbroken when you choose someone who displays these characteristics. He does not want his daughter in a relationship with a man who doesn't know how to control his own jealousy, hatred. He doesn't want his son involved with a woman who is sexually immoral, who is given to drunkenness. Your father, and it breaks his heart when you become involved in these kind of things. And, and as your pastor, I sit back and go, why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep choosing? And where do you find these people? <laughs> like, you're surrounded by hundreds of individuals right now, and most of them are saved. Look in this room. It's a good place to find a date, okay? So, you know, um, <laughs> here's the thing. All of the feelings... Of the relationship, they lead us to myth number two. That God created him or God created her for me. In this, with this belief, I want you to follow me here. You're going to have to think a little bit, okay? With this belief, somehow, um, God had one person in mind who was created just for you. How many of you have heard that? There's one out there just for me that God created just for me, right? So, um, let me destroy this for you. Just a minute, okay? Because what you're actually doing is you're, repla- you're placing all responsibility on God to create the individual that you want. And then you're replacing all responsibility on the individual to be who you want them to be. And you carry zero responsibility in the relationship. God should have created them better and they should have been better. None of it had anything to do with you. In this scenario, you carry zero responsibility. It was all up to God. It was all up to the other person. And, and this has led some of you to become like so picky. Your, your standards are like so high, they're not even biblical, right? Like you, you've just gone there, right? And, and so you've just decided to like not date, right? At least not until God sends me my one, right? The one he created just for me. The per, you know, Mr. Right and Mrs. Perfect. I'm waiting on that one, right? You know, I, like, okay, let's just be honest. If you're a Christian, it can be hard to date, okay? Um, we would say that it, culturally, I think it's hurtful to date. Culturally, when you're dating, it le- you, there's, there's hurts, there's breakups, there's broken promises, there's unfulfilled expectations, there's unrighteousness, there's sin, and, and all of this culturally leads to a broken heart. So culturally, dating can be hurtful. In the church, it's just hard sometimes. Because there seems to be like all these unwritten rules. You ever notice that? Like everybody's watching you. They're watching your every mood. How far is too far? How much is too much? 
it can be hard to know all the right rules because you never had a class on how to date. Right? And so because of that, some people have, like, given up. So um, there was a book a long time ago called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, right? And, like, um, so it, there's some good stuff in the book. Don't get me wrong. But I'm like, why don't we just fix dating instead of get rid of it, right? So, you know, we, we don't have to do things culturally. We could actually do this right, okay? And, um, and, and so I think that uh, I think we can honor the Lord in how we date as well. And, but some, I think, have just given up until they find, like, Mr. Right or Mrs. Perfect. And I'll say this, um, for some of you in this room, to give up on dating for a little while would be a really wise decision. Because you, you've never been single for six months. I'm putting a date on something that you actually can't put a date on. Um, but the truth is, for some of you, being single for a little while would be really wise. Because there's some things that God needs to do in you that you haven't given him time to do. Now, for others of you, you avoid dating, not because you're trying to be wise, but because you're trying to avoid heartache. This, this was me for a long time. I wouldn't get serious for a girl because, listen, I didn't want to get divorced. And so if you don't want to get divorced, don't get married. If you don't want to get married, don't date anybody seriously. Seems like a pretty good process, right? How do you avoid divorce? Just don't get serious with anybody. That was me for years, for that matter. So you're just trying to avoid heartache or you're plagued by fear of being hurt or you're, you're trying to avoid intimacy because you've got some insecurities that you don't want others to know about, right? You're stuck because God hasn't like painted the sky, right? Like wrote a message in the clouds, you know, like Sister Ignacion, Mary Nacho Libre now, you know, <laughs> you guys remember this? <clears throat> You're waiting on the perfect one and you're waiting for God to perform a miracle to prove to you that they're the perfect one and that this is Mr. Right or Mr. Perfect. But listen, God doesn't work that way. They weren't created for you. They were created for God. God never created anyone for you. Him or her, he or she was created for God. And listen, you would do well to find someone that knows and understands this. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Um, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. means don't be hooking up with unbelievers. Okay? Let me break this down for you. If they don't love Jesus like you love Jesus, get out. Get out of the relationship. Don't even think about it. And I'd even say this. Even if they're saved and they don't love Jesus how you love Jesus, wait and let God do his thing. Because see, salvation, you're either saved or you're not. It's on or it's off. It's it's. One or zero if you're a computer nerd, right? So salvation is one or the other, right? But after salvation comes this process of redemption and God refining us. And it's very much a process. Now listen, if if you get involved with someone too early, you can usurp this process. This refining process that God is doing in their life. 
you can hurt that process. Because during that process, God is creating proper and correct loves in their heart. And what you don't want to do is steal a piece of their heart that was supposed to be dedicated to God. They need some time. They need some time. You know, I said just a minute ago, some of you guys need to take a break from dating. One of the wisest things that some of you guys can do is walk up to your life group leader and go, hey, um, I think what Heath was saying is true about me, and I think I need to take a break. Um, So I'm not even going to put a time limit on it. I'm just going to trust you, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me and walk with me through this. I want you to let me know when you think I'm ready. Because here's what I see all the time, okay? Somebody's like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm on a dating fast for like, you know, 18 years or something, right? And, you know, and then like, you know, two months in, they find Mr. Right or Mrs. Perfect rolls in the door and they're like, it's because I was faithful on a dating fast. And I'm like, but you didn't finish the race, yo. You don't get the prize. You know, like, and so... Be faithful to God before you begin to pursue. And don't get stupid with it. Like some of you guys think that a timeline is wise. Some of you don't need a timeline. You need wise counsel. Does that make sense? Some of you need someone around you to say, hey, man, I think you're close, but there's something I want you to look at. You said this the other day. Actually, I saw this in you the other day. Because you're close, you know, there's like people around you that you're close with and they love you and you love them and there's a trust between you and you know that they want what's best for you. And you can trust them. God saves and then he redeems. We need to let God do this process and and, and as this process occurs, here's what happens. You figure out that you were created by God and for God, and they figure out that they were created by God and for God. And and so what happens is that God begins to define important things in our lives, things like calling, purpose, direction, mission, vocation. All these things end up defined by God because we get that our life is meant to be lived for him, that we are his. And so... Amos 3.3 puts it this way. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? What he's talking about here is spiritual unity. Spiritual unity among friends. Spiritual unity that makes a marriage awesome. You got to know what you believe. You got to know why you believe what you believe. And you got to know how you'll live because of what you believe. And if you can figure these things out, and the two of you match really well on these things, it's going to produce a spiritual unity that's going to lead to an intimacy in your marriage that few get to experience. See, it's really exciting when you get to talk to your spouse about your job that God told you to get. It's really exciting when you get to talk to your spouse about your calling, and they actually care. Because the Lord placed that desire and that passion in their heart too. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Um, So effectively, what you're asking is, do they have a vision for where God is taking them? Is there a purpose for their life? And I'll tell you where, I'm going to break down division for you really simply, okay? Division, die, vision, right? Two, 
visions. Do you see where if this is you and your partner and there are two visions for your lives together, this will cause you to move away from each other rather than towards each other. Do you see that? Can two walk together unless they agree? Listen, if you're called to be a pastor in some urban area and you're trying to marry someone who is called to be a a, a missionary in Antarctica where people don't exist, then that's going to be difficult. (laughs) Amen? So kind of inherent in this idea is that they should know know their life's purpose before you pursue them. They should know their life's purpose before you pursue them. And so should you. Otherwise, there's no way for you to know if there is long-term spiritual unity. Here's what I do know. If God's big enough to call you, give you passions in your heart that align with his will for your life, God's big enough to bring you someone who has the same calling and passion and direction that you've got. He created every individual on the face of the earth. And he didn't ignore the passions that he put in your heart. He didn't ignore the calling that he's placed on your life. What he's asking you to do is maybe for a season, give it a break. So that he can develop you and someone else. And maybe, just maybe, you're chasing after your passion. You're running your race, right? You're passionately pursuing the thing that God has asked you to do. And as you're sprinting along, all of a sudden you look over and there's a hottie sprinting right next to you. And you're like, yo. It's so beautiful when it works out that way. So beautiful when it works out that way. And it can. So inherent in this idea is that you should both have an idea of what your life's purpose is before you begin to really pursue each other. And here's what I find. See, in the very beginning, we have Adam who's tending the garden. He's taking responsibility. He's, he's being a man, okay? Men take responsibility. Men do hard things. This is what we find Adam doing in the garden. Men, you need to take note right now. Some of you are ignoring me. Take responsibility. Do hard things, okay? Adam's doing this. And then in Genesis 2, 22, the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. God doesn't do that today. You're safe, okay? And he brought her to the man. Now, what we have in our mentality and and in our English language is, is God brought this woman to Adam like, Hey, Adam, here you go. I created her just for you. But that's not really what it means. What it actually means is that God's like, all right. There should be a woman for the man because it's not good for man to be alone. Look here. I'm going to make this woman over here. And then as Adam and, you know, God were strolling through the garden, one day Adam, you know, looks up and here comes God with something fine. You know, like, God, who's that? You know, and God, and, and so the idea is not that he brought her as in he assigned Eve to Adam, but God paraded Eve by. To see if Adam would choose her. Why? Because love is always a choice. Love is always a choice. It is the basis for true biblical love. Is that love is a choice. So she, she was not assigned to Adam. But 
God parades her by. And then all of a sudden, Adam's like, yo, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That's his way of saying, she's hot. And God's like, you're welcome. You know, I do good work. (laughs) It works like this. You figure you out. They figure them out. And then God parades them by as you're heading in the same direction. <clears throat> but you still got to choose to love. The responsibility is yours to choose to love one of God's children that he created for him, not for you. God just allows us to become a steward of one of his children. Because they were created for him. Myth number three goes like this. Everything's going to work out when I find the right one. Everything will work out if I just find the right one. And this is where we like say, man, listen, Heath, all of my past relationships sucked, but this one, they complete me. We're perfect together. This is my best friend, my ride or die. They're the cheese to my macaroni, the jelly to my peanut butter. Listen, they are the ketchup to my fries, the sweet to my tea. They are perfect for me. This has to be the right one. And they're hot. They're perfect, I tell you. But here's the truth. Here's what we all know. None of us are perfect, are we? None of us are perfect, right? In fact, I would say this. If you are dating someone and you have yet to find something that annoys you, give it time. (laughs) It's coming. Because we all know that there was no one perfect except Jesus, and they're not Jesus. And we say stupid things like, listen, Heath, maybe they're not perfect, but they're perfect for me. And here's the problem with all these like sentimental, lovey-dovey, like romantic statements. They all rely on the other person being perfect. And that's not scriptural. That's not scriptural. They're not perfect for you. They're not right for you. They don't complete you. Nowhere in scripture do we see any of that. So really truth number three is wrapped up in this. Everything will work out, not when I find the right one, but when I become the right one. See, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about finding your soulmate or finding the right one. It's not in there. But it does have a lot to say about us becoming the right one. See, nowhere do we find like a, you know, how to date manual in Scripture. And the truth is, Jesus was single. You ever thought about that? How are we supposed to date? How did Jesus date? He didn't. I don't care what the Da Vinci Code says. He was single. But even though Jesus was single, I think we can deduce from Scripture how Jesus would pursue a romantic relationship. And I'm not trying to add too much to Scripture here. Just follow me. But we can safely assume that all of the relational instruction that were given among those inside of the church would also be applied to a romantic relationship among those inside the church. Amen? We just talked about how we are all sons and daughters of God, and every relational statement in the New Testament is concerning God's children. 
not us as individuals. And just because you decide to become romantically involved with someone doesn't make them any less God's child. They did not become yours. They are still His. All of the relational statements that were made would be applied to a romantic relationship just like every other relationship. So we looked at Jesus in this area, just like in every other area, and we, be, and we hope to become like Jesus in our searching and in our becoming. Genesis 5.22 gives us some good um, becoming attributes. Check this out. Genesis 5.22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Here's what we know about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is produced by God's Spirit inside of us. And the only way you have God's Spirit inside of you is through salvation. So step one is salvation. Salvation brings forgiveness for when we've messed up. It brings, and it brings lordship over what happens next is we ask Jesus to help us search for a soulmate. Some of you tonight, you need to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because you know you cannot do this right on your own. So your first step is to give your life to Jesus. Not just your dating life, your whole life. You hand that over to Jesus as Lord and Savior and you start letting Jesus direct your steps. For others of you, you need to start looking for different things in a mate. You've been relying on like hot or not, you know, like, like there's some attributes you should be looking for that you have not been looking for. You need to start looking and thinking differently. And you probably need to start becoming different as well. So when we look at this, when we look at the fruit of the spirit, think about this. Everyone wants these qualities in their future spouse. Just think about it for a minute. Especially those of you who are like me, you've come from from broken relationships or broken homes. Okay? Don't you wish that your dad or your mom would have been more loving and kind and patient and gentle? Don't you think that if they were those things, that things might have ended up better? And don't you think that if you and your future spouse were these things, it could end up better for you as well? See, I believe they can. I believe the the wisdom we find in Scripture is hugely beneficial. Not just to who our spouse is supposed to be, but for who we're supposed to be as well. And if we can take these things and become these things and look for these things, then our future marriage can be one that is full of life and vibrancy and intimacy and overwhelming joy. The joy that comes from creating a family together. The peace that comes from praying with your spouse instead of fighting with your spouse. It's living in harmony and in unity as you love and pursue Jesus together and as you pursue God's purposes for your lives together. I believe that's possible for you. 
I believe that's what, how Jesus created it to be. But we got to be wise about who we choose. We got to be wise about who we become. How do we be wise? We listen to God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. We don't believe the myths. We believe the truth. And if we do, we will then reap a harvest in our future that is the awesome marriage that we hope we can one day have. Let me pray for you guys tonight.